So we're here again thinking about the nine fruit of the Spirit. And this morning I'm hoping that we can share to understand why the disciples who were so bereft after the crucifixion of Jesus were by the end of this passage so joyful and how you and I can recapture that joy today. I wonder what is it for you? Is it roller coasters? Is it your wedding day? Is it the birth of your babies? Is it a surprise party? Is it going to the movies? Go to the movies, do you remember that? Or is it watching movies? Maybe it's getting a haircut or going to the hairdressers. Oh, hairdressers, we all remember the hairdressers. Two church members were going door to door. They knocked on the door of a home where the woman who opened it was not happy to, to see them. She told them in no uncertain terms that she did not want to hear their message and slammed the door in their faces. To her surprise, however, the door did not close. In fact, it bounced back open. She tried slamming the door again, really putting her back into it. The result was the same. The door bounced back open. Convinced that the unwanted collars must be sticking a foot in the doorway, she reared back to give it a slam that would teach them a lesson when one of them said, Ma'am, before you do that again, you need to move your cat out of the way. When you hear the word joy, we often connect it with special events in life. Think of your wildest dreams. The one thing in life you would rather see than anything else. How would you feel if it came true? And how long do you think that feeling would last? If you got all your wishes to come true. This morning, we are thinking of the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who fills every follower of Jesus Christ. And he brings us joy, God-given joy that passes all understanding. He fills our hearts with praise and thankfulness to God our Father. Yet, as you look around at the world today, even as you look back on the past few weeks, I wonder how joyful have you been? What have you been facing these last few weeks and how have you found it? How have you been coping? How can you experience this refreshing of the Holy Spirit more and more each day? How can you enjoy what God has got for you? How can you live in that life more fully today? Well, hopefully we can explore that this morning. After the death of Jesus, the horror of the crucifixion, two of his disciples were walking to Emmaus. Suddenly, as a stranger draws near, he explains the scriptures about the Messiah. It was only when they broke the bread together that they realized who it was. It was Jesus. It was their Lord and Saviour, the Messiah. They were so excited, they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the others. Now this passage helps us, where we are today, to recapture the joy the disciples felt. This story in Luke 24 is so familiar to anyone who has been around the church for really any time. But you can try, maybe try and hear it like you are there for the first time. Imagine that you've just gone through that weekend of the agony of Jesus dying. Can you hear the excitement in the, the two travellers' voices? Can you hear the fear 
can you can you hear the questioning and can you see and hear the wonder of it all let's read from Luke 24 they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Joy in the New Testament has its source in the Lord Jesus Christ rather than in mere comfort and in well-being. This is the joy that is grounded in Jesus. This is what we've been talking about in Philippians these last few weeks. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus, grounded in him and also the hope of his return. This is why Paul can rejoice in prison. This is why the persecuted church today can still have joy. This is why the martyr can have joy even in the horror of death. This is how and why we can have joy no matter what we face when we rejoice in the Lord. The problem is we too often have lost our joy. In this passage, we see how the disciples progress in their understanding. Try and picture for a few moments when the two find the eleven and the others in verses 33-35. What would you see and hear there? What would be the, there'd be a real ramming going on at that point. And then in verse 36, Jesus is with them. They're behind closed doors. They are filled with fear. It's like us in lockdown, isn't it? And Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you. The excitement they had changes, I think, to fear. The disciples still haven't got what Jesus has said that he would rise again. They think it's a ghost. So Jesus shows him, shows them all, his hands and his feet to try and get them to see. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does for you and me. 
he tries to comfort. He dispels the fear. He wants to bring reassurance to them. And they're still blown away. They're amazed and overjoyed. So he says, give me some food, give me some scran. And he eats the fish in their presence. Why? Well, ghosts don't eat, do they? Sometimes I wonder what happened to the fish bones. Did someone keep them? Did they become a relic that was cherished and remembered? The truth is they were a tangible reminder of the resurrection of the body of Jesus. Evidence that this was not a mass hallucination, that Jesus was there. Can you imagine the conversation they had after Jesus left them? Think about your wildest dream. Think about your wildest dream coming true. This was their dream come true. And it was a joy that never, ever left them. Jesus met them in their doubt. He answered their fears. And then he explained through the scriptures that this was all meant to happen. And it filled them with joy everlasting. The joy of the Lord, which was their strength for what they went through later on in their lives. And you know he does the same for us. Our doubts and our fears, he reassures us. He meets us in our needs and he brings us everlasting joy. But he needed to calm them before he opened their minds to the scriptures. Maybe we need that too. He then revealed God's purpose and not what they thought God's purpose was. Because the disciples, like most of the Jews at that time, believed that the Messiah was coming to overthrow the Roman Empire, to restore Israel to its former glory. Jesus shows them again the bigger picture. And this time they seem to get it. After they've seen who Jesus truly is, it's like the final piece of a jigsaw puzzle. There's nothing worse when you don't have the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You have to go searching under the sofas to try and find it, whatever it might be. But you can almost see the jigsaw pieces all fitting together in the disciples' minds. As Jesus opens the scriptures, I wonder, did he mention Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, detailing his miraculous birth, reminding him that Satan's head would be bruised by the seed of the woman? That was the cross. As Jesus went to the cross, it was Satan's final defeat. Romans 16 verse 10, Galatians 4 4. Maybe he also quoted from Psalm 16 where David was speaking of the Messiah, which then we discover is reflected in Acts chapter 2 verses 25 and 28 and later on chapter 13 verses 35 to 39. Jesus is feeding in the disciples and that then comes out in the scriptures for us today. Or maybe Jesus mentioned Psalm 22 and related it to the words that he cried out on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I think the, pass the passage in Isaiah 53 would be the clincher, showing the necessity of the Messiah's death and his suffering that was meant to happen. It was part of it all especially when they were expecting their Messiah to establish a political kingdom of power that would overthrow the empire, which you realise that he did. Jesus did do that. 
but not in the way that they expected. Not with arms, but with peace. The Father promised the gift of the Holy Spirit, verse 49 in Luke 24. And this is what the disciples received at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, which would be needed for the task ahead and for us all to tell the good news to the world. You see, Acts 2 is the fulfilment of Jesus' promise. The Holy Spirit fills all those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Holy Spirit, God, equal to the Father and to the Son. Jesus speaks of him in John 14 as his other self, whose presence would be with the disciples, and who, when filling the disciples, Jesus said, would be of greater advantage than himself. For us today, to have the Spirit is to have Jesus. And to have Jesus is to have the Spirit, who is living and working in all of Jesus' followers. But that, of course, is still to come for the disciples. But in Luke 24, verse 52 and 53, you can see the disciples have moved from wondering and disbelieving to having great joy because Jesus has come to them. So the answer to the problem for you today, when you hold on to Jesus, when you hold on to his resurrection, when you hold on to the promise of the Holy Spirit living in you, working in you, then no one can steal you of your joy. And also, as you rejoice in him, you bring joy to others by sharing and communicating the good news. There's a story. Finally the day arrived, the kids were ready to go on their field trip. The lunches and their coats were, were all lined up, ready to go on the bus. But then in the back of the room, one boy began to cry because he'd forgotten to bring his lunch. So he would have to stay behind with another teacher and miss a trip. In a few minutes, all the other children had contributed an extra sandwich here, a bit of fruit, a wee pudding there, and drink until the boy had a feast, in fact, for his lunch. With new tears, this time tears of gratitude, grabbed his coat, he lined up and he climbed onto the bus. That's what, that's what the joy of the Lord is. We receive it and we give it and bless others. The disciples saw that Jesus was alive. They were convinced from scripture that it all made sense. They had a job to do and they were to be given the tools to go and do it. The same goes for you. Jesus meets you in your need. Scripture shows you that it all fits together. Check it out. Scripture fits it all together. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who shows us our purpose. We become convinced deep within ourselves in the same way as the disciples. We experience we rejoice in this fruit of joy as we increasingly immerse ourselves in scripture, as we share the gospel, as we tell others the good news. As we express that joy, it deepens it within us. Expression deepens impression, if you want to think of it that way. And as we yield ourselves more and more to the Holy Spirit living within us, as we tap into his power, 
This means that no matter what happens, we are filled with joy. Even when sometimes we think, where is our hope? We are filled with a joy, and no one can rob us of our God-given joy. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice in the Lord. Joy in the Lord is dependent not on our feelings or what is actually going on in our lives, but dependent on the Lord. And the Lord Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is good and he will not fail us. So how do we apply this to our lives today? How do we live a life of joy? Well, how about either today or tomorrow or some point this week or every day this week, praise God for who he is and what he has done for us. Perhaps today or tomorrow, in order to allow God to deepen your joy, take an hour where you can prayerfully read through John chapters 15 and 16 and realise that as a believer, you are intimately connected to Jesus as the vine is to the branch. And that the promised counsellor, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in you. Let your life be a continual life of praise, like the disciples. When you feel someone or something is trying to rob you of your God-given joy, focus afresh on Jesus and know the comforter, the counsellor, the advocate is living and working in you. Use the Psalms. Use the Psalms so you may praise. There's laments in there, there's songs of praise in there. It's our prayer book in the Bible. Soak in the Psalms. Remind yourself afresh of how good God is. And let no one rob you of your God-given joy. The truth is, when we are focused on Jesus, they never will. In that marvellous vision known as the peaceable kingdom, which we can find in Isaiah chapter 65, there is the image of the wolf and the lamb feeding together. Well, there's a story about that. Back in the days of pre-perestroika Russia, when her name was a name that made us all tremble, the Russians brought an exhibit to the World Fair that was entitled World Peace. And in it was a large cage. And in the large cage, there was a little lamb and there was a Russian wolf. They were feeding peaceably together. As an exhibit, it was most impressive. And as the fair unfolded, it was spectacularly attended. One day, however, somebody asked the curator the obvious question. How in the world do you do it? To which he replied, Oh, it really is very simple. We replace the lamb every morning. Don't let anyone rob you of the truth of God's work in you. Don't let anyone rob you of your joy. Keep your eyes on Jesus, no matter what. No matter what others are trying to do to you. Don't feed the negative. Don't let the wolf take your lamb of joy. So let us pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he came to set us free and to fill us with joy. Lord, as we remember the disciples and why they were so joyful after that horror of the crucifixion, Lord, may we 
in the midst of the tough, tough times, know the deep, deep joy, Jesus. May your spirit fill us to overflowing so that we're not just living for ourselves, but we're living for you and living to bring that joy to others. For those that we're praying for right now, Lord, we lift them all up to you and ask and pray that you receive our heartfelt prayers. Not only that we will be filled with joy, but those that we know who are in need may receive your joy unending this day. And may we always remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength and no one can rob us of that joy. In your name we pray.